0: Many years ago, I had the privilege of going on a mission trip with a team from our church to Romania, and I was told I'd have opportunities to preach, and so I took several sermons with me so I would be prepared. Well, we traveled by plane and then by train and then in a large rental van, and it was an exhausting trip to get there. On our final leg to our destination, we were all in great need of sleep, a shower, and a change of clothes. But unbeknownst to us, our Romanian interpreter had other ideas. He wanted to give us a unique experience, and so he had the driver stop at a church, a church where there was a wedding taking place at that very moment. And so he told us to get out of the van, and he talked with church leaders. And to our embarrassment, the pastor, who was in the middle of the service with the bride and groom sitting up front facing the congregation, as is their tradition in Romania, he stopped the service. And then the people made room for us in the sanctuary, and it was a crowded sanctuary. And then the interpreter was called up front, to talk with the pastor and they had a few words and the interpreter came back to me and said, Pastor, we'd like you to give the message. (laughs) Now I'd come prepared to preach a few sermons, but not a a marriage message or not a wedding sermon. So my basic instinct was to break out into a sweat and I scrambled to get my Bible, and Ephesians 5 came to mind, and so I thought, well, I'd get up and I'd read a passage from Ephesians 5 and make a few comments and then sit down. Well, that's what I did. But after I sat down, the service did not resume. The pastor called the interpreter back up to the pulpit, and they had a few words, and the interpreter came back to me and said, The pastor wants you to preach longer. (laughs) Now, I have never had that request before. (laughs) And I haven't since. So I prayed a prayer of desperation. I didn't exactly know what I was going to say, but the Lord helped me through that message. But what I learned was more deeply the meaning of what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy in our text today when he exhorts him, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Well last week Pastor Tim preached uh, at the, uh, the, finished the chapter 3 of our text in 2nd Timothy and we've been in this series in the book of 2 Timothy, called Guarding the Gospel in a Godless World. And as you'll recall, this letter contains some of the last words written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. It was his last will and testament to his beloved disciple to carry on the ministry that God had called him to, to be faithful with the deposit of the gospel. And as you know, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He has been sentenced to be executed for his faith. And he's writing within weeks, perhaps even days of his martyrdom. He's labored for about 30 years as an apostle and preacher of the gospel. And he's writing to Timothy also because he knows Timothy is experiencing some difficulty in the church. And he knows Timothy to be rather fearful and timid. He knows He needs some encouragement. He needs the strength of the Holy Spirit. Well, at the end of chapter 3, you recall last week, Paul exhorted Timothy to remember that the Scriptures are divinely inspired, God-breathed, profitable for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. But now in chapter 4, at the beginning of chapter 4, he commands and charges Timothy to preach the book preach the bible so follow along as i read second timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 and let's remember this is the word of god he's speaking to us through his word this morning i charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke your ministry. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Well, we're going to see that since Timothy has been given the gift of being a pastor, he's been entrusted with the Gospel, and since God's Word is the inspired, authoritative Word, and the means that God uses to convict sinners and to bring them to faith and repentance, and the means of also sanctifying believers, then Timothy must preach it effectively. But he also needs to be aware that there will be resistance to the preaching of God's Word. But he must remain steadfast in this charge. And so the first thing that God wants us to see from our text, point number one, is the solemnity of the charge to Timothy and to pastors and teachers. He writes in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom. What we have Paul doing here is adding the greatest gravity to this charge. The verb charge in the Greek is a legal term. It means to testify under oath in a court of law. And so Paul wants to Communicate the seriousness of this charge. Some of you have been to graduation ceremonies recently or are about to, and there's a certain gravity to this uh, ceremony. You know, sometimes they bring in very important speakers, maybe the dean or chancellor or president of an institution, and there is an exhortation to. The graduates, that they're not to think about serving themselves with their degree, but to serve others. And so, it lends itself to a sense of sobriety and significance. Well, this is what Paul is doing in the ultimate sense. Notice the gravity and the seriousness of this charge. Because he calls upon the witness of God. He says in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, the judge on the bench in this courtroom is none other than God himself. And Paul is saying God is the one who is watching me, who is in our presence as I charge you with these things. In fact, he's in essence saying God is the one charging you with these things because after all, he is an apostle, and he's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, I often remind us that before we begin a worship service, we are not the audience. God is the audience. We are not to be spectators. We are here to participate and to serve the Lord in worship. In other words, we are in the arena of God's presence. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy as he charged him. But he doesn't stop there. Timothy is also under the watchful eye of Christ Jesus. Christ is the word for the anointed one. The Messiah. Brings with it the idea that he is the one who was promised from long ago to come and provide salvation for his people. And then Jesus, of course, is his earthly name. And it refers to Yeshua or Joshua. Joshua. The one who comes and saves and conquers. Jesus accomplished this through His incarnation, His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. But He doesn't stop there. He wants Timothy to remember something about Jesus. He will come to judge the living and the dead. That's what we affirm when we say the Apostles' Creed. In His second coming, He will come to judge those who are still on the earth and he will judge also those who have already died we are going to be judged, all of us we are going to have to give an account for the gifts and the opportunities that we've been given our stewardship, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians five ten, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. But this is especially true for pastors and teachers. For we recall what James tells us in James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, we know that true believers will not experience a judgment of punishment in hell. And that's because all of our sins have been judged already on the cross. Jesus received that judgment for us. And not only that, but we've been given the righteousness of Christ. We're declared completely righteous and acceptable before God. But what this passage tells us as believers is Christ will scrutinize our works done here on this earth. Some of those that have not been done, and faithfulness to the Lord will be burned up. And that's sobering. But it's especially sobering for preachers and teachers, because we will be judged more strictly. But he's not finished. He solemnly charges him by Christ appearing and his kingdom. He's reminding Timothy, not only is Christ coming again, but his kingdom is going to be consummated. It's going to be fully established on the earth then and then forever. And so Paul wants Timothy to to keep that in the forefront of his mind. This is why you serve the Lord. This is why you fulfill your calling because Christ is King and He's coming again. And now we move to the second point that God wants us to see in our text and that is the substance of the charge. In verse 2, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul gives a single statement made with five imperatives or commands. And these commands convey urgency that Timothy must not waste time. And that term, preach the Word, means to herald the Word, to proclaim the Word. And this command is first and then enlarged upon by the following imperatives. He makes this the signature of the pastorate and Christian ministry. And so, preachers must preach the Word, the whole counsel of God. And that includes expository sermons, preaching, where Preachers convey the context of the text, the main emphasis, the meaning of its parts and how they relate to the main emphasis, the logic of how the ideas connect with each other and application. Expository sermons are sermons that have the thesis comes from the text, the main points and the subpoints come from the text. That should be the bread and butter of a preacher's preaching. We must also see what this does not mean. A sermon is not about the preacher, but about what God says in His Word. And that means that a preacher should not preach primarily his own self-expression or subjective experiences, his feelings, his autobiography, telling stories or jokes. That ought not to be primarily what the preacher says is up there to do. He is to be a herald of God's Word. The divinely authorized message from God. And the main emphasis of the message of the Word is Christ. Christ, His incarnation, His life of obedience, His death on the cross for atonement for our sins, His resurrection and His ascension. You see, there's nothing more urgent in all the world than the saving and caring for souls through the public proclamation of God's Word. But secondly, Paul expands the thought by saying he must be prepared in season and out of season. That is whether it is convenient or inconvenient, a pastor should preach. You must not reserve preaching for only when you feel like it or when you feel psychologically ready. No, you must be available to preach at all times. And then the next three commands regarding the preaching of the Word form a whole group. As the pastor preaches, he must reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove means To convince someone of error by logic or evidence so that a person corrects course. And this is primarily oriented to the mind. And then rebuke is the process of convicting. Showing the sin. Showing why it is wrong. This is primarily an appeal to the conscience. And then finally... There is exhorting. This means to encourage. Encourage with admonition. And this is primarily directed to the will. So Paul is saying, it's not enough to tell the people of God what is right. You also need to tell them what is wrong. It means that they need to know the difference between right and wrong. Sin and righteousness. It means being both positive and negative in your proclamation. People must know the bad news before they understand and appreciate the good news of God's grace. And then Paul tells them how this is to be done. He says, with complete patience and teaching. He's saying this must be done with the utmost of long-suffering. Patience demands self-control of one's emotions, not getting frustrated when people don't completely understand or get it the first time or the second time or even the third time. We ought to have the attitude of Jesus, how Jesus related to his disciples when they seem so dim-witted. We are like that often. We're often callous, indifferent, resistant, slow to understand and apply his word. And you see, exasperated pastors and teachers win no one. They actually alienate many. And we must never resort to the use of human pressure techniques or attempt to contrive a decision from someone. I remember when I was a college student, a famous evangelist came to visit our campus. And so we got a group of people to go and hear him. And he started off fine. He gave a, a very amazing testimony, and then he shared the gospel but then, after he made an altar call, he got very frustrated because no one responded. No one came forward. And he said in frustration, I have never been in an evangelistic meeting when no one came forward. So he began to shame us. And so, a number of us who were Christians decided, we better go forward or he's going to be here all night. Preachers and teachers must be patient. And they can be patient knowing that it is God, by His Holy Spirit, using the word that brings about transformation and change in people's thinking, in their hearts, and in their behavior. And this word for teaching is where we get the word doctrine, doctrine. And it refers to sound teaching, sound doctrine from the scriptures. Well, the third main point that God wants us to see from our text is the situation of the charge. Verse 3, why then must Timothy preach the word with such urgency and diligence? Well, the situation that he was experiencing and would experience in an even greater way in the days to come was that people will not endure sound teaching. People will not want to hear sound biblical expository preaching and teaching from the word of God. Dark days were coming, Paul is telling Timothy, when people will consider it intolerable. Well, we are still in the last days, aren't we? We remember that uh, the last days are those days from when Christ first came here to when he returns And we can certainly see that there are seasons of greater difficulty for Christians and for the preaching of God's Word. And I think we're seeing that in our own society. There is a growing antagonism against biblical Christianity and preaching. But then Paul gives a more in-depth answer as to why people will not endure sound teaching. We'll look at the second half of verse 3 and then verse 4. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. In other words, it's not a problem with the herald necessarily and especially not a problem with the word and the good news of the gospel. No, it's a problem with those, some of those hearers who are fickle people. They have ears that are itching. That word literally means tickled. They have an irritating desire, a craving for teachers to scratch where they itch. And Paul says they accumulate. That word means heap up. They heap up many teachers to meet those desires, those passions, instead of meeting their real spiritual needs with the life-giving doctrines of God's Word and the Gospel. Don't we see this today? People flocking to churches and celebrity pastors who entertain, who provide self-help, who make promises for prosperity, who preach a social Gospel, who explain away unpopular biblical teachings on sex and marriage and gender, God's judgment and atonement for sins. You know, God spoke to this tendency back in the Old Testament uh, when He spoke about the rebellious Israelites. He spoke through Isaiah 30, verse 9. "'For they are a rebellious people, lying children, "'children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, "'who say to the prophets, "'Do not prophesy to us what is right.'" Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. What is to be Timothy's resolve in the midst of this growing trend of religious people, even professing Christians turning away from sound preaching? And wanting something sensational, wanting something fascinating, wanting, wanting something scintillating, wanting myths instead of the truth. Well, our fourth, our fourth point that God wants us to see from our text is the steadfastness of the charge. Paul says in verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We can imagine it would have been very tempting for timid Timothy to just give up. To stop preaching when the fickle people start rejecting his preaching. But Paul gives him an emphatic, as for you. In other words, he's saying, you ought to be different. Your ministry ought to be a contrast to what they are doing You're not to be swayed by them, but you're to double down. You're to stay the course. He's not to take his cues from the prevailing itches of the day. Timothy is to be steadfast, always continuing in four things. Did you notice them? First, sober-minded. Meaning, he's to be clear-minded. Not drunk on the desires of the culture. He's to be stable in his mind, not unstable like those that didn't want sound teaching. He's to be steady and calm. And then he's also to endure suffering. You see, going against the grain of those who don't endure sound teaching and preaching from the Word of God, and being unwilling to compromise on biblical truth, will bring suffering. And pastor's must be perfectly willing to bear ill treatment whenever it is his lot to suffer. And then Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. What does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean the the modern view of an evangelist, I don't think. I think it refers to the fact that pastors are to share the gospel whenever they have an opportunity, but particularly as they preach and teach the Word of God. See, he's exhorting Timothy to make the preaching of the good news his life's work. And above all, faithful preaching will consistently proclaim Christ, the person and work of Christ, the necessity and the sufficiency of his work of redemption for their salvation and his work of purifying them for their sanctification. And then Paul exhorts him to fulfill your ministry. I have a little accountability card that I've been carrying around in my pocket or now on my smartphone for years. And it's uh, something that my accountability pastor friend and I ask each other, these six questions. And one of those questions is, have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling this week? And to be honest, that's always the most difficult question to answer in the affirmative but it's something that we all ought to strive for to fulfill our calling to fulfill the ministry that the Lord has given to us fulfill means to fill it up to perform it to fully carry it out completely having nothing undone to execute tasks with the highest of standards and fidelity to Christ it's a call to complete vocational faithfulness rather than a minimalist mentality of a hireling and ministry is the word diakonia where we get our term deacon it means servant or service and so we are to fulfill our service to the lord and persevere until it's accomplished even unto death and so we've seen in this text here the solemnity. The substance, the situation, and the steadfastness of God's charge to Timothy and to all pastors and teachers in the church. Well, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, but what does that have to do with me? How does this impact my life? Well, let me give you four takeaways from this text, four application points You see, since God commands pastors to preach the word, and we know that this always includes the message of the gospel, the good news, I ask you, have you heard and responded to the preached word? You see, the essential message of the word of God is that people are lost. People are without hope apart from receiving the saving work of Jesus Christ by faith alone. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've inherited a sinful nature. We actively and passively violate God's holy commandments, the Ten Commandments, in thought, word, and deed. And God requires absolute perfection because He is absolutely perfect. And so we fall short, miserably short of those requirements. But furthermore, God is a just God. He cannot ignore any sin. He must punish, condemn and punish all sin in hell. And there is no way for us to redeem ourselves or to atone for our sins. But then add to that the fact that the Bible says we are spiritually dead. We are incapable of true repentance and faith on our own. And so the essence of the message of the Bible is that Mankind is without hope except for the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. That's right. God in His mercy sent His Son, the second person of the Trinity, to come to this world to become a man and take on a human nature and and, and a human body and yet without sin and remained God. And He did this to be our substitute, to live the life that we should have lived in our place, in order to provide us with His record of righteousness. But He also came in order to take our sins upon Himself and to receive at the cross the judgment we deserve, the damnation, the wrath of God in our place. And He did that through His suffering and His bleeding and His dying. And then He rose from the dead on the third day to vindicate Himself, to proclaim that He was and is God, the Messiah, and that He did have victory over death and sin and the devil for us, and that the Father accepted His work of obedience for our salvation. And so, when God, through the Holy Spirit, gives a person a new nature, regenerates their hearts, gives a person the gift of repentance that is turning away from a life of sin and relying on who Christ is and what He did for their salvation, that person is united to the Godhead, has fellowship with God, has received the Holy Spirit, adopted into His family and into His kingdom, and he or she is declared righteous before God and forgiven of all of their sins and has received the gift of eternal life in heaven with Him forever. And so I ask you, have you responded to the preaching of God's Word, the preaching of this Gospel. If you're not sure, make sure today. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask the Lord to give you faith and repentance and a new heart. Trust in Him as your Savior and Lord. And I want to follow this up, this first question, with a second question. Do your priorities reflect the importance of of the preached word for you and your family. You see, if Paul is telling Timothy what he must do for the people of God to be a faithful minister, then you, as the people of God, must need what Paul tells Timothy he must do. Believers, you need a regular diet of biblical preaching. And so, we must all pray, Lord, grant that I would want to hear the word preached. And ask yourself: do you need to adjust priorities in your life personally or the priorities of your family? And you see, this of course means that your one of your highest priorities should be coming to worship on Sundays, eager to hear the word preached. And this leads to my second application point: do not follow your own natural desires in what you want to hear. But seek what God wants you to hear. God is telling preachers to preach the Word of God, the message of God in the Holy Scriptures, to preach a scriptural message. That is what you need from preachers. You need preachers to preach the Word. But you know what? We tend to want to hear other things. Things that tickle our ears or... Scratch and itch that we have. We think we know what we need. We want more enjoyable messages, more messages that we think are relevant. Well, pray that God gives you a hunger for the heralding of the divine authorized message of God. That kind of preaching is harder to listen to because it requires hard thinking, self examination, hearing things that we do not naturally want to hear. Sometimes about our sin and the need for repentance and about how we are helpless and only in Christ can we be saved and be sanctified. We'd rather not hear about sin or obedience. We'd rather hear about how we're pretty good people and how we can do things in our own power if we just try harder and God will give us success. You know, sometimes people may think, you know, pastor, what your problem is? you're answering questions no one is asking. And that may be true, but it is in God's Word that we should be asking those questions that are in God's Word. God knows what we need. He knows what is most important for us, and we often don't. God's Word gives us answers to the real questions that we ought to be asking and seeking answers for. Remember how Paul couched This charge to Timothy in verse 1. I'm giving you this charge before God and Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead who is coming again to establish his kingdom. Well, Timothy was to keep all of that before him as he went about his work. Now, most of you are not called to be preachers and maybe not even teachers in a formal sense. But all believers have a calling. We're called to glorify God in our roles, in our responsibilities, in our jobs, in our families, and in our service to Christ in the church. And so we need to keep this big picture before us. So the third application point is, do what God calls you to do, knowing He is your audience and Jesus is returning soon as judge to consummate His kingdom. We're all in the arena of God's presence in what we are to do. That's the big picture. We have a charge to be faithful, to fulfill the ministry that God has given each of us. We're to seek his kingdom first, as Jesus says in Matthew six thirty three. Colossians three twenty three Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. What causes us to want to do this? We're to live in light of His lordship and His kingship because we are part of His kingdom now. We're part of His family now. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have a new nature that's being sanctified. And we've received the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. So that compels us to want to use our gifts and our talents and our opportunities and our roles to serve the Lord, to bring glory to him. God is our audience. Jesus is coming again. Finally, we've been made aware in this text, the sobering charge to preachers. We will be held to a stricter judgment. So please pray for your preachers. Recognize this is their calling. Pray for them to be faithful regardless of the pressures of the world. Pray that they would fulfill their ministry. And I'll have to say, and I think I can speak for the rest of the pastors here at Carriage Lane, we are truly blessed to be in a church of people who want to hear the preached Word, who who think about the worship service and God's Word when it is read and prayed and sung and preached. So we are very blessed in that regard but continue to pray that you would be eager recipients of the preached word and that we would be faithful in preaching the word and fulfill our ministry let's pray oh lord we thank you for this text and how it charges preachers and teachers but all of us with the calling that you've given to us to glorify you Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. It is a great gift that you've given to us. Uh, The primary means that you use to bring us to faith and salvation, to sanctify us. Oh, Lord, help us to eagerly desire it. And Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to bring about sanctification, bring about conversion for those here who may not know you, and sanctify those that do know you through your word. Make us people of your word, we pray.